welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. As a matter of fact, this morning in the text that we're going to look at in Isaiah 64, I think that's something that we're going to learn about, really, it's, it's, a, it's a message about prayer. And I think as long as we keep our focus on who we're praying to, we're going to be okay, and that's going to help our prayer life. How many of you, you don't need to raise your hand, I'm sure all of you do because you're a good Christians, pray. We all pray, right? <laughs> Uh, how many of you have prayed and not received an answer you've wanted? Right? We've all, we've all been there, right? And maybe some of you even, you know what, I'm not going to pray because I know I'm not going to get the answer I want. Or I'm not going to pray because, you know what, I don't think God can do it. You know, that, a lot, I'm sure we've all been there like, you know what, this, is, this prayer is kind of too big for God. God can't do that. And so therefore we don't pray. And maybe some of you may even think, you know what, I'm not worthy to pray. Why would God even answer my prayer? You're going to see all these things come up this morning in the text in Isaiah 64. And what we're doing is we're picking up a prayer in mid-prayer. Meaning it actually started back in chapter 63 that Pastor Jared taught on last week uh, in verse 7. And so we're picking up in the middle of his prayer and As we go through this prayer, we're going to learn about what he's praying for, for his own people. And then at the very end, I'm going to just point out some application points of what you and I can learn from the prayer of Isaiah. So with that as an introduction, why don't we turn to the actual prayer. And I'm going to read the first four verses to start and uh, then explain a little bit about it. So let's do that this morning here. Here is Isaiah's prayer, or as I mentioned, the middle of his prayer. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountain might quake at your presence. As a fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things, which we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence, for from the days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. So I hope you get a sense, maybe I should read it more dramatically, but a sense of Isaiah is truly pleading for God. I mean, look at the very beginning. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He wants God to rip open the sky and come down right now. That's a pretty serious prayer. You usually pray that when you're really suffering, right? Don't we? When we want God to really, like, come here, God. We need you right now. Please come right now. Like, reach your hand down and, you know, whatever your prayer request is. You want God to do that. That's the sense that we should feel when we hear the prophet Isaiah. He really is in desperate need of God. He's in desperate need of a divine intervention. And it's usually through tragedy when we pray like that, right? When we pray our hardest is when things are not going good. When something's really bad. 
You know, somebody that we love is sick or dying or on their deathbed or we've just lost a job or your child is sick, you know, when they're really young and you, and you feel helpless. That's the sense right now that Isaiah, that Isaiah has. He's helpless. He's helpless. Remember, historically what's happening, the, his people are going into exile and he's actually praying about the future because he sees what's going to happen to his people and he's like, Lord, please come down right now. And maybe you feel like that right now in your own life or even seeing the chaotic world that we live in here just in the United States. Lord, you need to come down and fix this, right? We might be praying sometimes, right? Our politicians aren't going to fix it. No group organization is going to fix it. Even us as a church cannot fix what's going on in society. And so maybe you're praying, Lord, please open up the heavens and just like poke your head through and tell everybody, hello, it's me, I'm real. That's what Isaiah is saying here. He wants God to intervene. He wants God, he says, to, to, real, to reveal his power to his adversaries, right? Those people that are taking Israel into exile, Isaiah wants God to peel, to, you know, to peel back the heavens and stick his head down and say, hey, don't touch my people. Leave them alone. He wants them to do that. Right? He says in verse 2, to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. Could you imagine if we actually saw God come down and he poked his head down to the world somehow and, and said that, hey, I'm real. Those of you that don't believe me. Or if you saw the Lord, how frightened would you be? Every instance where the Lord uh, reveals an, an angel is revealed to somebody, they freak out. Imagine if the Lord himself came down. So, so Isaiah is saying, Lord, hey, reveal your power to our adversaries so that they may know that you're real, so they may know that we are your people and what you say is true. Why doesn't God do that? Isaiah's wanting him to do that. God has done that over and over again throughout history. Maybe none of us have actually seen God's power so magnified that people realize that it is only God. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray for miracles, I'm like, Lord, just reveal yourself so everyone will know that it is you that did this. I'm reminded of this example of such knowledge in the book of Joshua, and you could turn there with me. It's Joshua chapter 2. And we're going to look just at verses 9 and 11 as an example of this knowledge, how God reveals himself to non-believers. If you remember this story, this is the story of Rahab the harlot who hides the two spies that come from Israel. And what does she say in verse 9? This is exactly what Isaiah wants. She, it says this, And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on all of us, that all the inhabitants of the land had melted away for you or before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, and Sihon and Og, who were utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God 
He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. This is exactly what Isaiah is praying for. Isaiah is saying, I want that to happen. That remember when the Israelites came into the land and Rahab realized and all her people realized that these are the people of God and we've heard what God has done. This is the same God that we praise and worship that can move in our own lives. He can do such things. Do you, do you believe that? So Isaiah is saying, hey, God, please intervene on our behalf. And going back to our text in verse 4 specifically, he's wanting not only God to reveal himself to, his, to their adversaries, but he wants to be saved. Hey, don't just reveal yourself, but you know what? Act on our behalf, meaning save us. Right? Save us from the coming destruction. Save us from exile. Work on our behalf. That's what he's saying. Like an advocate or a lawyer, you know, who's going to defend his people. And Isaiah wants salvation, right? He wants the, the pain to go away. He wants the suffering to go away. And there's something to note about Scripture here in this text specifically. At the end of verse 4, the last sentence, he says about God who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. And I, and I note that because it doesn't say that God is going to save them. He just says that God's going to act. Now, now I'm, I'm confident that Isaiah wants God to like save them. And when we pray, we want God to like, get us out of a situation. But something we need to remember that God is always acting on our behalf. It may not be salvation. He's moving behind the scenes, doing something bigger and larger. So sometimes acting our, on our behalf and here in Israel is letting them go through the suffering. Just because they're suffering doesn't mean that God is not acting on their behalf. This is a promise. Isaiah remembers that God acts on the behalf of those who wait on him. So for you Christian this morning, know this, that maybe God isn't allowing you to go through some things. He's doing that. He's acting in your behalf. He knows what's best for you. Just like those of you who are parents who have been parents, sometimes we allow our children to go through some time of suffering, hard times, so they can learn on their own, and it's for their best interest that they go through these things. It doesn't mean we always pull them out of danger and save them from every little thing that they're in. That is not good for our children. They never learn independence. They never learn how to take care of themselves if we're always saving them. Sometimes we got to let them, you know, tough love, children. Sometimes you have to suffer, right? I always, I use a, a phrase uh, for my children, they'll tell you that life's not fair, right? So get used to it, right? The sooner you get used to it, the easier life will be. Life is not fair. How many of you adults would say, is life fair? Yeah, sometimes life stinks, doesn't it? Life's tough. You know, it's, this is reality. We don't live in fantasy land. We live in reality, but that doesn't mean that God is not acting on our behalf. God acts on the behalf of his people. And so Isaiah may be saying, Lord, save us. We want you to save us to get us out of this. But we're going to wait. We're going to wait for you, Lord. And Isaiah says that again. Look at verse 4. He says, God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Those people that wait on the Lord, it's not just sitting like twiddling your thumbs waiting like I hope something happens. The meaning behind that is, is, is that they know that God's going to act. 
They're waiting confidently. They're waiting expectantly. They know God is going to move, and that's why they're waiting, because they know God is going to come through. This is a, a sad analogy, but it will resonate with some of you probably. Like if you're watching your sports team and they're losing, like mine usually are. So if you know they're going to come back to win, you're like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to watch the game because they're going to come back. I know it. But if you have no hope that they're not going to come back, unless you like to be tortured, you're going to change the channel and stop watching the TV, right? So that's what we're talking about. You know a believer knows that God is going to come through. A believer waits for God, expects God to come through. So they live their life in expectation and confidence that God is going to come through. And that's what Isaiah is praying here in chapter 64. So he's pleading for God's intervention. But even in the midst of that, you may be thinking to yourself, it doesn't always happen the way you want it to happen, right? Isaiah recognizes this, and that's what we're going to see at the end of verse 4 again. I'm going to reread verse 4, at least the last part, and through verse 7, that he acknowledges that there's a dilemma in the believer's life, or even in his own people's life. So let's read this. We're going to read uh, just to verse 7. So the end of verse 4, the last sentence again. Um, I'll just read the entire verse. For from the days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eyes of God, nor has the eye seen a God beside you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteous. You remember, excuse me, who remembers you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, for we sinned. We continued in them a long time, and shall we be saved? So do you catch that dilemma right at the very beginning? He's like, okay, we know that God saves his people, but he says here in verse 5, but we've been sinning a long time. Can we be saved? That's the dilemma. How many of you ever thought that in your prayers? You know what? Uh, I know God loves me. I know God's going to help me, but you know what? I've been, I've been bad. I've been sinful. Is God really going to answer my prayer? Maybe you thought, am I even saved the way that I've lived this week? How could I even be sitting in church, praying to God, worshiping the Lord? Is that even possible? Isaiah recognized that. And look how he describes his, the state of his people in verses 6 through 7. This is, he's talking about his people. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, meaning sinful, spiritually unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and we have, de and, excuse me, and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. Isaiah is recognizing that, hey, we're, we're God's, he's like, we're God's people, um, we know that God blesses his people, but this is who we are. We, we've totally rejected the Lord as a nation. If you've been through us through the book of Isaiah, you've heard this over and over again. They've rebelled against the Lord. They've worshipped other deities on top of worshipping God. They've done all kinds of wickedness. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, and some of us don't even call upon the Lord anymore. 
Some of us aren't even seeking the Lord. We are so unclean that God has hidden His face from us. How can He hear our prayers? How can He save us? Why would He save us? That's a sad predicament to be in. And some people in this world are, they think like that, right? I've been so bad. I've sinned so much against God that how could He even look at me? Why would he hear my prayers? And so they don't pray at all. And even sometimes we as believers might think that, that I've just sinned against God. I've done that thing that I promised I would never do again and again and again. How can I even be saved? How can he answer my prayer? So what does Isaiah tell us here in this? Again, he reminds us that God saves those who follow him. God acts. And he expands on that in verse 5. He says, you meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. So he's, he's, here's the dilemma. He knows that God will act on the behalf of his people, that God will meet his people. Again, this is a way of describing the Lord's presence with his people. God acts, God meets his people. And again, those who confidently, patiently, and expectantly wait on the Lord. Isaiah knows this. And he goes on to say, you know, we even rejoice. You know, we know that God meets those who rejoice in doing good. These are all descriptions of a, of a believer, right? They're, they're following God. They're waiting on the Lord. And, and he knows that God's going to help that person. And again, but the dilemma is, but, but we haven't been that person. We haven't been that person. Not only... Does God save those who follow Him, who confidently, patiently, expectantly follow Him, who rejoice when they follow Him? Even those, when it says that they remember your ways, this is talking about obediently follow God. right? Those who obediently follow the Lord. This is someone that has a relationship with the Lord. It's a promise that God's going to be there for you. God's going to be with you. And so this is the dilemma because how does Isaiah describe himself or his country? Again, they haven't lived up to this standard, right? Again, in verse 5, he says, We continued in them, meaning the sins, a long time. Again, he says, You were angry for we've sinned and we've continued in them for a long time. And shall we be saved? So again, Isaiah recognizes what God does and who he does it for. But the dilemma is, you know, but, but we have sinned. We continue to sin. And this isn't just a one-time sin, right? So, so I want you to hear me correctly. We're not saying, hey, if I sin, which we're all going to sin, and we're going to sin until the day that we die, God's not going to answer my prayer. God's not going to meet me. God's not going to be with me. No, this, Isaiah stresses, this is, we continued in them for a long time. This is a, a, a persistent rebellion and a willful disobedience against the Lord. Right? He's talking about a, will, a, a lifestyle choice. He's not talking about the Christian that stumbles and bumbles and maybe even does it over and over again, which we would all admit that we do. He's talking about somebody who willfully rejects God's uh, relationship with God doesn't want to follow God, who turns their back on God. This is the state that Israel is in here in Isaiah 64. He says, this is where we are. We've continually uh, and for a long time have rejected you. 
Right? Then he goes through and describes the way that they have rejected him, talking about their lifestyle, so much that God has hidden their face from them. So much so, and I want to point this out and spend a few minutes here on verse 7. Not only has God hidden his face from them, look at what he says God has done. God has, has delivered us into the power of our iniquities. God has gave them over to their sins. He's basically said, if you guys want to continue to live like this, then you're out. You're gone. And that's what they're going to experience. They're going to be sent in exile. And, and Isaiah recognizes this. He's like, we've been given over to our sins. We're drowning in our sins. Our own choice has caused God to turn his face from us. And God has given us over to our sins. He's basically given us what we've wanted. And this has happened in Scripture a number of times, and I want to give you two examples of this to illustrate this point. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. First Samuel chapter 8, specifically verse 5. In, in Samuel chapter 8, you, this is when the nation of Israel first gets their, when they get their first king. You may know this story. The prophet uh, Samuel is going to die. And, uh, there's, and Israel wants a king. They don't want any more prophets. Let me let Israel speak for themselves. Look at verse 5. And they said to him, meaning Samuel, Behold, you have grown old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. This is important to note. Israel wanted to be like everybody else. The other nations around them. This is in stark contrast to what God has called them to be. He's told them to what? Not be like the nations around you. That's why I've given you a prophet or a judge to be over you. He's going to rule over you. But they've rejected that. And they say, you know, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. And let's, let's continue on with the story in verse 6. But this thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they, when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Continue on. Let, like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now then listen to their voice, however. You shall solemnly warn them. And tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So God is saying, you know what? They're, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And you know what? Give them what they want. But before we give them what they want, you tell them what's going to happen to them if they uh, elect this new king. And then Samuel proceeds to tell them what's going to happen. And wouldn't you know it? Everything that was predicted is going to happen. But God is saying, you know what? If this is what you guys want, then I'm going to let you have it. This is a willful and continual rejection of God. Just as he said, they've been rejecting me since they came out of Egypt. They didn't just all of a sudden flip, flip the switch and stop serving me. This has been a continual rebellion against me. 
and now it's come to the point where I'm going to give them what they want, and they're going to get this horrible and wicked king. And it even happens today. Turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 1. And when I say today, I mean not just ni uh, 19. You could tell when I was born. <laughs> 2020. Hey, the 1900s weren't long ago, kids. <laughs> In Romans chapter 1. So when I say today, I mean the church age from the time that Christ uh, has come and uh, ascended to heaven. Because the Apostle Paul warns of this very thing as well. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 24. This is another example of God giving people over to their rebellious desires, their sinful desires. If you want to keep doing this, then I'm going to give you up and let you do what you want, and you're going to suffer the consequences of it. And there's nowhere where it's more uh, pronounced in Scripture than in Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 24. It says, Therefore God gave them over. All right, this, well, let's read. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their, their bodies would be dishonored among them. Why did He do this? Look at verse 25. For they, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creatures rather than the Creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. Again, this is saying, you know what? If somebody wants to reject God, and they want to continually reject God, then I'm going to eventually give them over to do whatever they want, whatever their heart's content is, because they've rejected me. And so let's see what the Apostle Paul says. As he continues on in verse 26, he says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desires towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their heir. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Going on, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, listen children, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And this is, look at this. And, there, and although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give heartily approval of those who practice them. So this is a, a description of a society that's saying, you know, we totally reject God. Even though we might believe there's a God, we reject Him. We're going to do what we want. And God says, okay, fine. Do what you want. And you're going to suffer the penalty of that sinful act or actions. And He describes a bunch of sins. And I'm sure you could tell there's some very sins that are very prevalent in our society today that I believe that God is 
I pray God uh, would rend his head, you know, rend, his, rend the, the clouds open and come down and save us. But God's allowed our country to continue to pursue the sinful desires that they want to pursue. And our culture wholeheartedly gives approval of this stuff. We're in big trouble, people. Our country is in serious trouble. God has turned his back. I'm almost tempted to say God is ready to turn his back on our country. Not on his church, not on his church, but definitely our country. This describes our country to a T, right? God has given them over, you know, because they've exchanged the truth for a lie. And I don't really, you know, I'm not going to, I'm just going to stop there. Let's continue on. But the point is this. God in the past and today says, if you continually reject me, you're going to suffer the consequences of your sin. And that goes for each and every one of us this morning. If, if you, in your heart, because again, I don't know where each of you are in your own hearts with the Lord, but if you continue to rebel against the Lord and you do not repent of your sins, if you willfully reject the Word of God and His grace and His mercy, then you will suffer His wrath. God will, will be angry with you in this life and in the next life for all eternity. You will suffer the wrath of God. And I want every one of you this morning to hear that truth. God offers mercy and extends His grace to you now, but if you continually reject that, there's going to be a point where God is going to give you over. Fine, you don't want to follow me, then you do what you want, and you are going to suffer the wrath of God in this life or in eternity. And this is what Isaiah is saying. He's like, we, God has given us over. God has given us over to ourselves. He says, we're withering away like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So what's the solution to that dilemma? What can anybody do? Because we can't live up to those standards. And Isaiah recognized this, but look at what Isaiah gives us as a solution here. But going back to verse 8. And it's a solution not just for Israel in Isaiah's time, but it's for you today as well. It's for anybody that's listening this morning. Here is the solution. Let's read uh, verses 8 through 12, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Starting in verse 8, he says, But, right, so this is like, but now. Right, this is the solution. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. But look now, all of us are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful home where our fathers praise you have been burned by fire. And all of our precious things have become a ruin. So Isaiah's recognizing that, hey, everything is disastrous, right? But he recognizes that God's the creator of all things. And he, and he concludes by saying, verse 12, Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? These are questions. He's like, God, will you allow this to continue to happen? God, will you continue to afflict us? And as we know, the answer to this for Isaiah's time was no. There was a period that they were going to suffer for their sins. 
and then God was going to get them and bring them back out. And the same thing has been true for us today. You know, say maybe some of us need to, need to ask ourselves, is God going to continue to allow me to suffer through this? Is God going to save me? He can. God already has offered you salvation. We talked about this a few weeks ago when, when I used that illustration of being in prison. But some of us are locking ourselves in this prison that we've created and saying, I don't want God's help. I'm going to do it on my own. God has offered a solution, and that's what Isaiah is talking about here. And let's look at that solution. Go back to verse 8. The solution is this. He acknowledges the Lord as their God. That's solution number one. You have to accept Christ as God. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. Look at the titles he uses. You are the potter, and all of us are the work of your hands. He's recognizing God as he's saying, but, but you're the God. You're God. You're our creator. You're the potter. You fashioned us and mold us. He's acknowledging the sovereignty of God. And in the process, he's acknowledging that, you know what? We're not God, right? He says, you're the potter. We're the clay, which means we don't have control over this thing. You have control. We're just clay in your hands, and we're submitting to you to allow you to do what you want with us. And then verses 9 and 10, what does he do? He's acknowledging and repenting of their nation's sins. He's acknowledging and repenting of the nation's sins. Right? He's saying, don't be angry beyond measure, O Lord. No, remember our iniquity forever. But look now, all of us are your people. That's a poetic way of saying, Lord, please forgive us. We're your children don't, don't let us suffer forever. And then he pleads and says, look at our town. It's, it's, it's in shambles. Help us, Lord. Will you save us? So that's acknowledging and repenting of their sins. He wants God to intercede for them. And, and that's what he does in verses 11 and 12. He's asking for God's help. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? It's like, Lord, help us. Look at what's happening. Will you please help us? Are you going to ignore us forever? And we're, and we're, left, and we're left like on the, a cliffhanger there. We don't know the answer because the chapter ends. No, I'm just kidding. But that's the outline. The solution is acknowledging the Lord as their Savior, acknowledging that they are not God, acknowledging and repenting of their sins and asking for God's help. So even though all that he said before is true, that here's God's high standard and we're way down here, but, he says in verse 8, but we can be saved because of what God has done. And so I want to use that as we close now as our application this morning. What do we learn from Isaiah's prayer? And this first one isn't a note that's going to come up because it's really for those of you who don't know the Lord. Because the first thing that you need to learn is this, that you need to acknowledge that you need the Lord God. That's number one. You need to acknowledge that. You can't get the rest of this until this one comes first in your life. And each and every one of you this morning, I want to ask you to, to, to ask yourself, do you really know the Lord as God? He's not your parents' God. He's not your children's God. He's not your grandparents' God or your neighbor's God or your friend's God. Is He your God? 
Can you say with Isaiah that, Lord, you're my father. You're the fashioner and creator of my life. I'm the work of your hands. Have you ever said that? Maybe not in those terms. Have you acknowledged the Lord as your God? If you have, and I pray that you would do that this morning, and in doing that, you would also repent of your sins, just like Isaiah was mentioning. That, and you would realize, you know, that you've sinned against God, and you need to repent and acknowledge your sin before the Lord, and you need to ask for the Lord to intervene on your behalf to save you. Some of you need to start with that first step, acknowledging that you need the Lord, your God. And if you don't do that, then I pray that you would take that warning that I gave you earlier, that God's, there's going to come a point in your life that God's going to give you over to your continual sinful, rebellious self. You may not be like the chief among sinners, right? You're not like, I'm not killing, stealing, or, or robbing anybody. But no, you haven't acknowledged the Lord as your God, and therefore He's going to give you over. Because you have sinned against Him. We've all sinned against Him, and we all need the Lord God. And so this morning, again, I ask each and every one of you to ask yourself, have you really done that? Have you really acknowledged that you need the Lord your God? And realize that you're, you are not God. For the rest of us who have done that, I, I, I want to close with these points of application. Number one, and this is really about prayer, how we can, what we can learn about prayer this morning. And number one is this. We need to really believe that the Lord intervenes on behalf of His people. Some of us, and, and I'm sure I do sometimes too, and, well, I know I do when I'm praying, do we believe this? Do we believe that the Lord could really intervene on our behalf? Do you believe that the Lord can answer your prayer? That's one way of saying it. James chapter 1, verses 6 and 8 says this. He says, But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what we can learn from Isaiah's prayer this morning is that we need to really believe all those things that we say about the Lord, that we sing about the Lord. Do you really believe that the Lord could intervene on your behalf? Maybe some of you don't pray because of that thing right there. You get hung up on that. I don't even think God can do it. So I don't, I'm going to pray because I know I'm supposed to. And then your, your description is what I just read in James 1, 6 through 8. You pray without, you ask in faith, but you're doubting. Or you don't ask in faith. You're doubting that God could even do that. You're only praying because you know you're supposed to pray. But you don't really think God can do it. I pray this morning that you will learn from Isaiah that, you know what? I believe that the Lord can intervene on my behalf or on behalf of who you're praying for. Number two, something else we all need to remember is that we need to remember our sins before the Lord. We need to keep what they say is a short account of our sins with God. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered is because we're in willful disobedience of the Lord. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you 
so that he does not hear. Sometimes we're in willful disobedience to the Lord and then we're going to go and try and ask God for something and God's like, I'm, I'm not listening to you right now. You need to fix this before we move on. And so in our prayers, we need to remember our sins before the Lord. When we come to the Lord, we need to repent of our sins. Even if you just did it on the way to going to pray, repent of it. Tell the Lord you're sorry. Forgive you of your sins. Don't let sin keep you from God. Thirdly, you need to ask the Lord to intervene on your behalf. Sometimes we don't even ask, right? It's not that we don't believe the... Some of us don't believe the Lord can do it, but some of us, when we pray, don't even ask God to do it. How many of you are, are, don't even pray? Because you think, you know, I don't, but for whatever reason, I don't know why you don't pray. But some of us need to realize that we need to ask the Lord. We need to ask for what we want. We need to ask and pray for other people. Whatever it is, we just need to ask. Don't, again, don't let your unbelief or your, your thinking, you know what, I could do this on my own. I don't need the Lord. Keep you from praying. Some of you just need to ask the Lord. Right? It's like uh, I remember as a kid, uh, me, as me and my brother, and when we have a younger sister, you know, like nobody wanted to ask dad for anything because they were afraid of him. Yeah. So we convinced our little sister to go ask because we didn't want to be told no or him to get mad at us, right? And some of us might look at God like that. You're like, I don't even want to ask God, you know. I'll, we'll just handle it ourselves. Or you're afraid of God for whatever reason. Or this prayer's too small. Some of you just need to ask. God is your loving Father, right? How many of you as fathers don't want to hear your children ask for things? Not too much things. Right? We just, just come and ask us. We want to hear their voice. We want to talk to them. And some of us as God's children don't even go to Him at all. Lastly, we need to live faithfully. You need to live faithfully as you wait on the Lord's intervention. I didn't talk much about this earlier, but this is a big point. Remember Isaiah said the Lord answers those or saves, acts on the behalf of those who wait on Him. So we need to live faithfully as we wait. Again, that waiting, again, I mentioned it's not twiddling your thumbs. It's, being act, it's an active word. We're waiting confidently. We're waiting expectantly. We're waiting faithfully. We're living our lives waiting for the Lord to answer our prayers. We don't just sit there like, I'm not moving until the Lord answers my prayer. No, we live our lives faithfully and wait on the Lord to intervene when He sees fit. We don't just sit there. We live faithfully. So I pray that helps you this morning in, in helping you in your prayer life. Again, just real quickly for our prayers. We need to believe the Lord intervenes on our behalf. We need to remember our sins before the Lord. We need to ask the Lord to intervene. And we need to live faithfully as we wait on the Lord's intervention. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to put into action right now just what we learn. We're going to pray to you. And Lord, we're going to believe that you can do all things. And I pray this morning, first and foremost, for those in this room and those who may be listening who don't acknowledge you as Lord. They may have heard about you. They may even go to church, but they 
in their hearts, they know that they are not your children, that you are not their father. And I pray this morning that in faith they would cry out to you and ask for you to be their father, that they would repent of their sins and they would faithfully follow you all their life. And I pray for us as believers, Lord, that we know people in our lives who don't know you. And some of us, we don't even pray for them because we don't think you'll save them. But I pray this morning that you would lay it on our hearts to pray for our friends and family who do not know you and to ask for you to intervene in their life, to save them. No matter where they are in their life, they can be successful and they can be out on the streets, but they don't know you. And we know they don't know you and we pray, Lord God, that you would intervene and save them that you would humble them before you, Lord. And some of us this morning, Lord God, have a lot of, just a lot of stuff going on in our own life. We are hurting, we're suffering, and we need, we need your intervention. I pray that you would give us the faith and belief to cry out to you, to intercede for us, to act on our behalf, and that we would truly believe that you can do it, Lord God. I pray that you would do that. And I pray for our church in general, Lord, that you would give us another 17 years of worshiping you, wherever that leads us, Lord God. We have seen your faithfulness, even in the midst of tragedy and suffering and not knowing if we're going to have enough money to operate to even have a building to worship in but you've been faithful may we be faithful to you Lord God and thanks to all that you've done for us thanks for joining us in today's study if you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services you can find information online at www dot ren dot church that's r e n dot church thanks for listening <laughs>